This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein, and you're listening to Dollars and Change. Oh, and I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. I'm listening and talking. <laughs> and we're going to be listening to and talking with our guest who's in the studio with us, Della Clark, the president and CEO of the Enterprise Center, working here in Philadelphia to, to grow jobs and grow business. And just for a little bit of trivia, which Della would get to if I didn't, it used to be the home of the American Bandstand, Dick Clark. Yes. Ah. So, I mean, you have to be of a certain age to really remember that, but I am. <laughs> And so are some of our listeners. So are some of our listeners. Yeah, like Dick Clark. How do you describe Dick Clark? I don't even know. You know, it was the the source of of music and dance videos before there were music and dance videos. And before he was doing the ball drop, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I joked for about 20 years that uh, since I married a man whose last name was Clark, I joked and said Dick was my first husband. <laughs> but everyone knew that was not true. <laughs> that, is, that is so funny. So, Della, uh, tell us about the, you know, give us just this, what is the Enterprise Center? I I, I know you. I know you've got a, uh, you know, a, a uh, the, the short elevator pitch. What is the Enterprise Center? I would say the Enterprise Center sits on four pillows. Uh, the first one is entrepreneur education. Um, the second one is, which is the major one, we think is connections, expediency to relationships both locally, regionally, and nationally. Um, the third one is access to capital. And the fourth one is a management existence, helping clients start, grow, and scale. Got it. And who are, who are your clients? Who's your focus? Our focus is, is uh, on regional businesses in the greater Philadelphia area, which encompasses about nine counties. Um, but we do have a specific focus on minority entrepreneurs. Got it. And and for you, as you think about this, as you think, uh, we won't ask you to look backward yet. So we, I'm very, but you've been at, well, you've been at the Enterprise Center for how many years now? 25 years this month. Oh, oh my goodness. Anniversary year. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So that is, that's phenomenal longevity. That's that's really exciting. I mean, I sit here and think about, you know, that, that I've been uh, – the vice dean for social impact here at Wharton for five and a half years. And I can think about where we've been, uh, you know, what we've achieved in the last five years. I feel good about it. But, wow, to be able to look back and say, what have we done for 25 years? That's very impressive. But, so we'll get back to looking back. But looking forward, Della, as, you know, as the president and CEO of the Enterprise Center here in Philadelphia, what is the impact that you hope to achieve? Like, what are the metrics that you would say, wow? You know, we had the we. I wanted this impact, and we've had it. What would make you say that? Um, the biggest impact that I would like to see here in the Greater Philadelphia region is reducing poverty. Um, Philadelphia, even though nationally has come out that African Americans unemployment is about six point seven eight percent, which is a drop, which is a drop. But when you look at pockets, not only in Philadelphia but in our urban communities around the country, that number still is double digits. And so we think one of the ways to address that symptom is through creating CEOs that look like the people that need to get hired. Mm. So, so it's really an avenue of spurring entrepreneurship, creating jobs, yes. redu- reducing poverty. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. and as you think about these, you know, the minority entrepreneurs who you work with, um, 
Well, first of all, give us a sense of who, you know, the, the, maybe the range of companies that you're working with, some that may be, you know, smaller, earlier stage. Just give us, you know, just give us a sense so we can picture these companies. Okay. Um, if you'd asked me that question 25 years ago, mm. I would have jumped right into the companies. But really, Catherine and Cheryl, it's about the people the CEOs, the entrepreneurs we're trying to train. Because what we have learned is that you can work with someone for three to five years, and if that business fails and you don't focus on the entrepreneur, they can't start another company. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the success of most CEOs in this country, they don't hit it until they get to their second or third business. Right. And so failure is pretty high in the early-stage companies. What we have learned at the Enterprise Center is how to recycle that failure and how to take that entrepreneur and connect them for other opportunities and things. So as we think about the type of clients we work with, it's probably far more important than <laughs> the type of companies. However, we do work in certain industry clusters. Uh, most minorities come to us in the service business. Mm -hmm. All right? And that is one of the reasons that access to capital has been extremely difficult because they really don't have assets to pledge. I'm sorry for collateralization of any loans. But um, getting back to the entrepreneurs, we pretty much work with them in three buckets. Um, you probably have heard me say this, and I'm going to say it on air, but we've uh, internally identified those buckets as first graders, sixth graders, and twelfth graders. I have heard you say this, but I don't remember. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking you're not talking about children. And <laughs> so, so remind us, Della, what, what are, who are these people? I'm talking about characteristics. Okay. Okay. Early stage companies tend to look like first graders in that they have these hopes and dreams of what they want to be when they grow up and what they want to look like, but they don't really have process and structure to achieve it. And that's kind of the characteristic of what we call first graders, which is early stage companies in their first three years or so of operation. Um, the sixth graders are more ones who have gone through what we call the period of endurance, getting through that early stage, and now they're ready to grow. And they need to hire people. They need to build that entrepreneurial capacity. They probably need to seek financing. And so though that's what we call the adolescent period. Mm -hmm. And then the as they reach high school, which is 12th graders, you know, they start to act and think that they're mature. They think that they know everything. <laughs> um, they don't need help, but in the areas that they want to receive it. And so that's where we really began to coach and clamp down on them to help them transform into CEOs. Fascinating. I, I uh, want to remind our listeners that we are talking with Della Clark, President and CEO of the Enterprise Center. And if you have questions about your own entrepreneurial venture, how to grow it, how to get access to capital, what kind of, you know. and How to move uh, from the first to the sixth. Right. The how do, yeah, right. How do I, yeah, exactly. How do I get, exactly. How do I do that and, and not take six years <laughs> moving up this and, and, and having the maturity to move beyond being a, t a 12th grader. Uh, join us in this conversation. Uh, I'm sure Della would be delighted to ask, uh, you know, hear your, your questions and thoughts, as would we. We're at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two. Seven eight six six. So, how has your how has your mission and your strategies evolved in in twenty five years? I think um, I certainly have evolved myself uh, in leading the organization. Uh, when I started out twenty five years ago, it was just myself and a budget of about thirty one thousand dollars. And today, there are thirty six employees beside myself. 
with a budget of about $4 million. So we really have grown. Um, I'm now at a point in my leadership where I am trying to uh, instill a purpose-driven organization rather than a mission-driven organization. Oh, that's interesting. Purpose-driven versus mission-driven. You must explain that. Yeah, exactly. Tell us what you mean. Well, mission often describes what you are doing. Vision pretty much describes what you want to achieve, whereas a purpose-driven is a baton that you hold up regardless of the situation. And in our case, it's minority entrepreneurs. And so when you think about strategic planning, you know, in the old days, you would do a strategic plan that might be three to five years, whereas today, times are changing so that you could do a strategic plan and two years later, legislation, conditions, economics can change that plan. But if you have a purpose, you still got your purpose. Yeah. And you hold on to that purpose. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've uh, just started teaching uh, my uh, social impact uh, course here at Wharton, and we had a, a, a uh, guest speaker yesterday, a guy named Jonathan Greenblatt, who's an entrepreneur, worked in the Obama White House, now leads the Anti-Defamation League. And his term was no, it was about knowing your North Star. Mm-hmm. And as he thought about his career you know, and, and the choices he made, his North Star was clear. It sounds like the way you're thinking about purpose is this is my North Star. Right. right. And, and one of the things I try to impose on not only young people that I interact with, but also with the staff, is that power is not in position. Power is in your purpose in your life. And so if I can get each staff member at the Enterprise Center to understand their purpose and their contribution, it makes the organization whole. Yeah. And I've read that it can actually increase your productivity by 30%. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exciting. So I'm curious, you know, you've been, uh, you know, I have not been in Philadelphia as long as, as you have. I'm curious about how, and you're, you know, you're you're based here near campus in West Philadelphia. I'm curious about your reflections on how the neighborhood has changed, how the neighborhood is continuing to change. Because, you know, one of the things that we see, uh, you know, in many cities in the United States these days is, um, you know, a lot of younger people moving back into cities, the gentrification happening. Um, You know, gentrification improves the neighborhood and displaces the people who live there. Um, so talk to us about the, you know, what you've seen in West Philadelphia, your observations um, about those changes. Well, 25 years ago, um, driving west of the Schuylkill probably was not as attractive as it is today. Mm-hmm. I can sit here and say that west is best now. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Uh, there's a phenomenon going on in West Philadelphia in University City, in the neighborhoods that surround University City as well. And they are now attractive to investors. And yes, there will be some gentrification. And I don't know if there's any policy or any legislation that we could change that. Mm -hmm. That's just a natural phenomenon. I think what we want to do is empower the people, the neighbors, the community who are residents in these uh, neighborhoods that are being impacted to get on board and to strengthen their wealth and strengthen their family ties to to their neighbors and to the community. And I think that's what it's going to take to make a holistic approach. Right, because as there's development, as there are new people in, there, there are more opportunities to create... I mean, we talk about this when we're talking about developing nations. There's a market being developed. Right. Yeah. And you right. need to find ways to create a business that can tap into that market and be successful. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
And, you know, Philadelphia, I don't know if our listeners know, I even know that all of us know that Philadelphia is uh, the poorest of the 10 largest cities in the United States. It has, you know, quite high poverty levels. Um, you know, the employment levels that we see across the country are certainly helping Philadelphia. So there's a lot of, you know, things are, things are better in Philadelphia than they were five or 10 years ago. Um, but I would love to hear, you know, I know what you're doing, but you are, you, as you said, you think locally and regionally. What needs to happen in Philadelphia to, you know, to spur economic growth, inclusive growth, more jobs, less poverty? Um, you know, as you think about what you can do, but also what you'd like to be see going on in the city, what do you think we need? Well, if I could wave a magic wand and have everybody... If anyone could, you could. <laughs> have everybody do exactly what I want them to do as I wave that wand, it would be to aggregate more capital. Um, as I've worked in the city of Philadelphia now for these 25 years and have tried to mobilize resources... Um, the resources are no longer about the Enterprise Center, but about the clients, about the small businesses. And so as I gave the analogy of the first grader, sixth grader, and twelfth grader, and Catherine and Cheryl, if if they stay first graders too long, mm. okay, then the it's not enough resources to push them to sixth and twelfth grade. We need to have an accelerated approach. Mm -hmm. And capital is one of the major disruptors in getting them through those development stages, through the period of endurance. And so uh, I'm going to use my leadership broadly over the next three to five years to try to raise three rounds of capital. This first round will be $15 million in equity and $15 million in debt. And we'd like to duplicate that two more times over the next five to six years. And this would be uh, capital that would be targeted for investment in minority businesses to help yes. them grow. Yes, and and when you look at the history of minority businesses, and if you look at City of Philadelphia, the average size minority business is probably $100,000, $150,000. And the reason that and is... And employs, what, two, three people maybe? Bear, no, usually one, the one entrepreneur. Yeah. And that is a reflection of not that there is not skill set to develop the business, it's a lack of capital. Yep. Okay, and they don't have the rich aunts and uncles to help support and launch that business, and they start out using credit cards and debt, and it is very hard to make um, decisions when you are financially driven by that debt. Yeah, and that has caused many minority businesses not to scale quickly and to grow. So, how, so you have this vision. You said it's a 50, the first the uh, you know the first goal here in the first round is fifteen raising fifteen million each. Uh, debt and, and equity. All right. right. So, so thirty million, and then thirty million the second year, yep. and then thirty million the third. So, so how's it going? Give us the pitch. You don't know who's listening on the, uh, you know, on on the the radio to hear how how they could invest. Well, I've had a number of conversations with uh, potential funders, uh, some representatives from family offices, and what we have concluded in order to get out the gate is that we need to put together a solid plan. And so we have committed to that solid plan, and we'll have it ready probably by December of this year. Mm. Okay? That's the first step. And, and then what is this plan? Is plan? What does it mean to have a plan? What do you got to outline? We, we're really going to outline how this uh, model will be slightly different. We can't enter into the marketplace being traditional venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because our— I think that's a great point. I think it's a hugely important point. We can't do that. Yeah. And so what we're doing is that we're looking at models not only in this country but in this world, mm -hmm. right? What has been developed that has helped to stimulate their local or regional economy? 
And so we're probably going to come with a business plan that is some hybrid mm-hmm. that, that can deliver impact but have a social responsibility. And we don't want to be like other CDFIs and other funds that have started out with that intention and then switched over to traditional technology firms when they recognized they wasn't going to get the return that they were looking for. I would be quite disappointed if that happened. Yeah, interesting, fascinating, uh, and, and, and an important uh, important model. Uh, and, you know, are you finding that, that I mean, as you said, you're, you're talking with investors already as they're trying to work this, this through. Is there interest? Is there interest? Is there enough capital in Philadelphia and the region to, to propel this kind of vision? It's enough capital in the region, but is there enough people who are going to believe in it? I don't think so. Hmm. We'll have to go out of market as well. Yeah, interesting. And what are the kinds of, you know, you talked a little bit about the kinds of barriers that, that um, you know, minority entrepreneurs face, and perhaps you as, uh, you know, as an, as an organization that is really focused on um, building minority entrepreneurship. Talk to us about those barriers, those challenges, and, and, and then we'll get to how you overcome them. Well, um, one of the biggest barriers, and I'm going to be very frank, is that uh, I heard someone say this, and I have come to believe it to be true, that if you're not at the table when the menu is being developed, then you never make it, Mm -hmm. right? And so oftentimes when there are regional strategies being put together in the city of Philadelphia, there is not enough representation of minorities mm-hmm. okay as as decisions are being crafted yeah right and so that begins to trickle down and so when you try to as i do shop these entrepreneurs in these buckets of early stage companies the middle and mm-hmm. then the later stages it's it's a difficult um challenge in trying to open up the doors for those connections because in the minds of the buyers and the procurement and all the stakeholders is that the first objection I get is, well, can they deliver? Mm-hmm. Do they have the capacity to deliver? And that's a chicken and an egg story because they need the contract in order to be able to get capital and yeah. to be able to build staff. And so no one wants to take a chance and provide the opportunity in order for us to be able to raise the capital. It's so interesting. I mean, that harkens back to our first discussion about the uh, grantors coming in to to take the first risk right. to show that we're, we're going to have faith in what we're thinking about here, and then people who are more risk-averse can come in with the right. capital. So I'm you're not, right. You need somebody who's going to be the first person to give that person a chance by giving them capital. I'm, I'm also struck by the similarity in what you described in kind of questions to entrepreneurs, you know, can you do this? Are you sure? You know, what if you fail? Um, You know, we have a a colleague, uh, actually she's now left the Wharton School, and she's at Harvard, which is great for her and bad for us. Um, But she's done research on on, uh, venture capitalists and investors' approaches to women-owned businesses and male-owned businesses. And uh, summarizing her results, as I recall them, women get asked different questions. Mm-hmm. They get questions on, you know, how are you going to handle the risks? What if you fail? Have you checked this? And it's very much focused on personal. It's very. It's, it's sometimes it's called this um, kind of this prevention focus, preventing, and and very focused on how are you going to handle the downsides. 
whereas men get asked the, how are you going to grow? How are you attracting mm-hmm. new customers? Where do you see yourself in, you know, in five years? And it's very pr- uh, promotion-focused. Um, so one's an assumption of growth and the other's an assumption of failure. Exactly. 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 And, and that's what I heard in, in, in your comment, Stella, an assumption of failure, which is, you know, going back to what you said, Cheryl, which would, might be why you would need somebody to come in and de-risk this. Right. But to be clear, you know, this is much. Of this is going to hang on a set of assumptions on who are entrepreneurs and who are successful entrepreneurs. Right. And that's really what we do at the Enterprise Center is to try to dismiss those um, challenges and objections to providing opportunities. Yeah, I spend majority of my day doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. exciting, exciting, and you know, and hard work. So I'm uh, to hear about you know as I as. I mean, I've known you now for, uh, I don't know, five five years or something. Uh, you've been at this for 25 years. I think of you as um, just a very committed and tenacious leader. And there's a little, I'll pull out my Greek philosophy, it's a little Sisyphusian, help me, Cheryl. Sisyphusian, yes. Sisyphusian, you know, rolling this boulder up the hill again and again, um, you know, and it's going to succeed. It's going to be that, that boulder is going to be at the top of the, of the hill. Um, how do you sustain yourself as a leader? Let's talk about what, you know, like your, what this means, because this is hard work. It's really hard work, but I'm also very fortunate in that I found my purpose. Um, The day that I walked into the Enterprise Center, I knew that everything that I had done prior to join the Enterprise Center was preparing me for this role. Mm. And every day I've been at the Enterprise Center for 25 years has been like my first day on the job. Wow. I cannot find, I cannot tell you the joy that I have every day in coming to work at the Enterprise Center. And I very rarely miss a day. Yeah. Okay. And not working on something on minority entrepreneurship. That's great. And how do you uh, how do you hire? You've spent a lot of you know you've, you've grown the the enterprise center. What are you looking for in employees when you're hiring? To given your passion and your strong commitment to purpose and mission, um, I'm looking for entrepreneurs who can be innovative, create and initiate without hand holding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, enterprise center is a place for failure. It is a place where you can come and make mistakes. And too often young people have been taught now to try to be perfect and not make mistakes. And I like employees who come to me and say, you know, I tried this idea and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about it and work through it because I know that they're going to keep trying until they get it. I don't like employees who come in and sit there afraid to make a mistake. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to create the culture that, that supports that. Yeah. 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 And I've learned to uh, hire slow and fire fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Important, important advice. <laughs> we hear it a lot. Yeah, you know, yeah. But, but very, very important ad- advice. Uh, so, you know, tell us uh, a little bit more about how you're going to proceed in the next year or two. We're going to wrap up in just a moment here. Um. I am going to, uh, in terms of the organization, we have uh, revamped our entire program to be really focused on um, eight core competencies, Uh, just real briefly, leadership, professional ethics, uh, really going to focus and hone in on financial acumen with our our clients. Some of these areas, uh, we've developed an assessment tool that every client now has to take so we can be intentional 
and how we work with them. Uh, and in terms of myself, I am freeing myself up from the day-to-day at the Enterprise Center to be focused primarily on this capital raise yeah, and to go around the country and carry this baton uh, around minority entrepreneurship and access to capital. So if if, uh, if our listeners are hearing this and are thinking, uh, and, you know, and for Cheryl and, and me to spread the word as well and thinking this is a bold vision, this is an inspiring uh, you know, goal, and I want to help, what kind of help do you need? I need doors to open. Mm-hmm. The great philosopher Jane Brown said, just <laughs> open up the door and I'll get it myself. Yeah. So, you know, as you talk about me as a boulder, and carrying that boulder, I'm looking for door openers. Yeah, I'm looking for people that will open up the door, uh, believe in the concept, believe that this is possible, believe that it is necessary. Mm-hmm. And I will carry all the water and do all the work. Yeah, that's great. All right, so that's probably a, a good place to draw this to a close. Uh, we're going to take a break. We've been talking with Della Clark, the president and CEO of the Enterprise Center. Uh, when we come back, we get to have another guest in studio. I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Professor Sergey Netasine, who's a professor of operations, information, and decisions at the Wharton School. So we'll be back. Stick with us. This is Katherine Klein on Dollars and Change. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.